Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode 280 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast for Thursday, October 11, 2012. That's right, it's 10 11 12. On tonight's show, uh, Dr. Natasha Bergert, pediatrician and keynote speaker at next week's fourth annual healthcare social media summit presented by Reagan Communications at Mayo Clinic. You can check out the hashtag at uh, Mayo Reagan. Uh, that's the first part of the show. The second part of the show, very excited, a bonus part of the show of something that just happened last night. I'm going to share a chat I had with the founder of Primary Care Progress, Dr. Andrew Morris Singer. All that coming up and a lot more on episode 280 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. And of course, beginning of the show, my good friend, the president of the American Academy of Family Physicians. This is Dr. Glenn Stream. Um, this year, one of my commitments and, and a great interest is to be more engaged with you as leaders, chapter leaders, uh, and, and our frontline membership. Uh, on, on Monday, a Twitter handle, I'm privileged to be the first one to hold, uh, at AFP Prez, P-R-E-Z. I already have 29 followers. I feel so proud. Um, I have a long, long way to go to catch up to uh, our current student board member, Kevin Bernstein, who has a little over 1,000, um, and our, uh, our king of family medicine social media, uh, Mike Sevilla, who has nearly 7,000 uh, members. about medicine and social media. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. I'm your host. My name is Mike Sevilla, Family Medicine's talk show host. That's right. I've named myself that. Why? I have no idea. What is this show about? This show is by a family physician for the growing community of family medicine, for which you are now a part of just by listening to this show. That's right. Check out my digital library of stuff at FamilyMedicineRocks.com. And shout-out to all my uh, followers on Facebook. Well, actually, all my Twitter followers, all 10,287 of you out there. Also, uh, shout-out to all the people uh, who like the Facebook page for this show, which uh, I think we're up to number 568 now. Thank you so much for that. Today is uh, Thursday, October 11, 2012. It is 9 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, here at Family Medicine Rocks World Headquarters, it is 46 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, how's everybody doing there tonight? Yes, that's right. I uh, I dare to do the impossible. This, uh, as we speak right now, the vice presidential debate is also going on, and also uh, the Major League Baseball playoffs. <laughs> but uh, you know, hey, I, I'm not afraid to go up against them and lose. <laughs> Uh, but I know, you know the majority of the people listening to this show are uh, 
on the podcast. Thank you so much for that. And I did I did get some tweets out there. People are going to be listening live as well. So thank you so much for that. And also probably a lot of multitasking going on. They have one screen with the debate, one screen with baseball, and also have this show tuned in as well. Thank you so much for that. Uh, so today, so for this show, uh, it's going to be a, a special two-part show. Uh, the uh, first part, uh, I'm going to be uh, talking with uh, Dr. Natasha Bergert, uh, pediatrician uh, and also social media manager of uh, Pediatric Associates of Kansas City, and she's going to be giving a, a keynote talk uh, next week at the fourth annual Mayo Clinic Social Media Summit uh, October 16 through 18 in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, so that'll be a very exciting conversation. And following that, I just added this on to the show today, uh, is a uh, some thoughts that I have uh, from a talk I was at last night at the medical school uh, by the founder of Primary Care Progress, uh, Dr. Andrew Morris Singer. And I have a, a, a small clip from his talk from last night and also some thoughts of uh, um, our chat afterward, we had dinner uh, following, and uh, uh, that will be a, a, a very exciting uh, part of the show where I'll be giving a little bit of behind the scenes of uh, what Dr. Andrew is like. Uh, but first, I do want to thank Blog Talk Radio for having me be a featured host here on this network. Thank you so much for that. I've been a social media hobbyist since 2005, and if you're curious, yes, I am a real doctor. I am a uh, family physician in full-time private practice, meaning I see patients five days a week in the hospital and in my office here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. And I will uh, take my break, and uh, we will go with the first part of our uh, show. Uh, You're listening to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Family Medicine Revolution just Google FM Revolution for more details. And also a proud member of the ProMed Network of Podcasts. You can get there by going to ProMedNetwork.com. And we'll be right back. Our Family Medicine's leading voice in social media in my own mind. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast on a Thursday night here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. My name is Mike Sabella. Uh, and uh, so our first part of our show here, uh, I uh, interview uh, Dr. Natasha Bergert, um, and I will say right off the bat, this is a pre-recorded interview because uh, she's usually working uh, this time of the evening on a Thursday. So uh, we recorded the interview uh, last week. Uh, and uh, she's going to be giving a uh, keynote presentation at the 4th Annual Mayo Clinic Social Media Summit next week, uh, October 16 through 18, um, in Rochester. She is, uh, you can also follow her on Twitter uh, at uh, Dr. Natasha, and we'll also talk about her blog um, for the practice. Uh, you can get there by going to kckidsdoc.com, uh, and they're, they, all, they also have a Facebook page for their practice, Pediatric Associates of 
Kansas City. And before I play this uh, interview here, and it's, a, and it's, a, it's an extended interview, um, about 50 minutes. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I got to meet her um, a few months ago for, for the first time in person because um, I often go to Kansas City for my professional uh, organization, uh, the American Academy of Family Physicians. Their national headquarters is in Kansas City uh, area. And I got to meet up with uh, Dr. Natasha, and we had a great conversation there that kind of kind of kind of carries over to our pre-recorded um, interview here. And uh, um, to let you know, I mean, you know, she's going to tell a little bit about her social media story, um, and then she's going to be sharing a little bit about uh, maybe giving us a little bit of a preview of her keynote presentation next week um, at uh, Mayo Clinic. Uh, so following the, uh, the, uh, uh, this uh, interview, I'm going to be having some of my own remarks, and then um, in the second hour of this show, I'll be talking about primary care progress and also uh, my conversation with Dr. Andrew Morris Singer. Uh, but now um, I'm going to be um, playing an interview uh, that was recorded uh, last week. Uh, we made reference to the Ohio State and Nebraska game, so that kind of dates the interview as well. But this is uh, Dr. Natasha Burgert uh, from KCKidsDoc.com. Also, uh, follow her on Twitter at Dr. Natasha. Here is um, our interview from last week. And on the line with us uh, is uh, my good friend. We were able to meet in person. I can't wait to, to, to talk to her. On the line with us is uh, Dr. Natasha Burgert from the Kansas City area. So thank you so much for the time and welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, so uh, before we get started, and I'm just going to have a little disclaimer to the people uh, listening to this, is that uh, you know this is a pre-recorded uh, uh, show, and uh, so as we record this, uh, we, I have to get this right out in the open right now because um, you, you were a graduate of, of Nebraska, is, is that right? Do I have that right? That is, that is correct. I am a Cornhusker. That's right. Yeah. So so as we record this, this is this is the the day before the the big uh, Ohio State and. Uh, uh, Nebraska game, yeah, and, and, and I thought you might bring that up tonight. I didn't yeah, know. so and I'm and I'm glad that we're recording this beforehand, uh, <laughs> you know, so we don't have any kind of awkward tension, you know, like if we recorded this like after the show. Uh, but and we'll get into that. But uh, but it's good. I'm, I'm looking forward to our to our to our chat tonight. And we got to meet in person a few months ago. And uh, um, as I told you, and, and as as people who listen to the show know, I go to Kansas City often because that's where our national headquarters is for our professional organization. And uh, we had a great chat, and uh, um, it's, it was it was so fun to meet you in person. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, it, it's kind of weird after following each other and a really long time in the digital sphere to to see uh, you face to face was was truly a pleasure. We had a great lunch, and you're just as charming in person as you are in this wonderful radio show, Mike. Oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, well, we will get to our topic in a few minutes, the main topic, which I'm very excited for you. Uh, you're going to be a keynote speaker at the, the huge Mayo Clinic Social Media Summit, uh, which is going to be uh, next week. Uh, and uh, um, we're going to get into that. But but first, so let's, I always like to try to uh, get my audience to get to know you a little bit and a uh, little bit about uh, kind of before the whole social media superstar scene. Uh, but, but let's talk about you know, just kind of what led you towards uh, medicine in the first place. Is there, is there, are there people in your family that uh, are in the medical field? And how did you find yourself drawn towards medical school in the first place? Sure. That's, it's an interesting story. I'm definitely, I'm definitely the first one of my family to to be in the medical field. So it was kind of 
unusual, I guess, to pursue it as far as my family members were concerned. Um, I actually got really interested in the possibility of becoming a physician from a very influential high school teacher that I had. My biology teacher, um, Mr. Rick, was uh, awesome. Uh, he had We had walked through AP Biology together, and he just really saw my interest in, in I guess, abilities that uh, I may have not been able to see in myself at the time, um, but kind of put that little glimmer or that little possibility in my head, and really I followed through as I went to Nebraska Go Huskers and, the, and never really turned back. That was kind of the only plan that I had uh, as I was going through school and very, very fortunate and blessed that it worked out. Well, that's great. That's great. So, uh, And you are from originally that part of the country where you're at right now? I'm a, I'm a, I'm currently call, I'm currently in Kansas City where I now call home but I am I was originally from Omaha Nebraska. Oh okay okay but you did your pediatric training in Cincinnati how did that happen? Yes. So both my husband and I are pediatricians so we were look or er, uh, looking for pediatric spots I should say we both graduated from the University of Nebraska Med School and went through the couples match. So we needed to go to a really big place that could accommodate both of us, and Cincinnati was definitely top on the list. We had a wonderful experience during our interview there and loved to be in Ohio for for a brief period of time, have wonderful memories of that place. Oh, that's great. That's great. And, and you know, I, I love uh, talking to docs about, you know, what, what drew you towards their specific specialty and why they love it so much. What, what drew you towards pediatric? What, why do you love uh, the specialty of pediatrics? Well, I, I love I loved peds right from the beginning uh, for a couple of different reasons. First is I loved how children, just in general, despite what we did to them and tried to do to them, they thrive. They they teach us something every single day. They teach us about how amazing the human body is, how amazing a childhood spirit can be, and how much how much with positive thinking and basically a blessed ignorance that these kids have. That, that life can be such a wonderful, simple thing and when adults make it so complicated. So so I, I'm just inspired by them every day and always was, which which really drew me drew me to the field. I think the medicine is, is the medicine itself, pediatric medicine, is is amazing because it's so much focused on preventative care, which I really enjoy. I enjoy teaching. I enjoy um, working with families and developing relationships and getting to know them as their kids are getting older. And it's a very dynamic time. It's always changing. So every time I see my kids, it's always something new. And that's why I really enjoyed Pete. Um, and uh, I get uh, email and messages uh, all the time from undergraduates and those in high school and things. And, and uh, um, you know, when you get questions from, you know, from high school students and, and undergraduates specifically about pediatrics and about medical school, what, what advice do you give them as far as trying to, you know, learn more about your specialty? Um, I presume, you know, that you have maybe medical students shadowing you or, or opportunities like yeah. that. What advice do you have for, for those students who want to learn more about pediatrics? To learn more about pediatrics is great. You know, I always have them come to the clinic. Anyone's more than welcome to come here and follow any of us to kind of get a vibe of, of what we do here. Um, but I also like to have them um, shadow me and experience patients, both of the young kids and with some of my teenagers themselves and kind of talk about the experiences that my patients have 
um, with me. I think my patients are my best teacher of how great pediatrics are to the students that come through here. Um, I always have my patients tell them how important a pediatrician is and, and why it makes a difference in their life. And, and um, my patients are certainly the best teachers. If I don't have the opportunity and just responding to email and such, just, um, uh, just like you do to help, these, help the kids kind of determine what they'd like to do, you know, I always think back about my own childhood experience and how influential my own um, my own family physician and my own pediatrician was, and kind of use that framework of your own knowledge to see um, what kind of draws you to the place that it draws you. So, I, I, choosing that medical profession is so personal and it's so intimate, and it's it's very difficult to influence. I think ultimately, because once you find the place that you need to be, it just it opens up to you. It becomes very obvious. So I, I just like to expose them to a little bit of my world and, and show them the perks along the way. But ultimately, any med student or any med student who's trying to make that decision, I think ultimately it will just open up to them. Was, was, that, uh, was that your intention when you started medical school? Because for me, my, my father's a surgeon, and when I started, I wanted to be a surgeon. But as I went through, um, especially third year, um, I, I learned more about myself. I learned more about all the specialties and things, and then I kind of shifted towards more primary care and family medicine. And, and did you always want to be a pediatrician? No, I went in a totally open slate, and, you know, I didn't even have that family influence like you described with your father. Like, I, I went totally... Essentially, totally, um, totally open to anything. I, for the for a long, long time, I thought I was going to go into internal medicine because um, I really enjoyed the physiology um, and enjoyed the some of the complexities of internal medicine. Um, but I I found myself getting getting so frustrated dealing with um, some chronic illnesses that patients could bring upon themselves, such as consequences of being overweight or consequences of tobacco exposure, um, that kind of detracted from um, my my ability to teach. It was not a strength of mine in order to use um, negotiation and influence with that particular patient population. So pediatrics kind of opened up. I think they have a lot of similar qualities, internal med and pediatrics, just in a different kind of group. Um, and I found that with my skill set, it was just a better match. Um, and you were a general uh, pediatrician, um, and in your training, um, were you ever think about doing any kind of pediatric specialty or even doing fellowship following your yeah, residency? Yeah, I was, I was very close to doing a NICU fellowship. I love those little itty-bitties. So I really enjoyed the intensity of, that, of the neonatal um, intensive care unit, and I really enjoyed those rotations. <clears throat> What was difficult, I felt, though, as you were going, kind of going through residency, it was difficult for me to tease out um, what you liked about the medicine versus what you liked about the teams that you were working with. And I had some great medical teams that I think influenced my love of, of um, the ICU. So when it really came down to do I really want to do ICU medicine or do I want a little bit of a more broader scope in general peds, um, I chose general just because um, I found myself liking the actual medicine better instead of just the teams. Now, I know what you mean about the NICU. I, I did uh, I did rotations uh, here in Ohio at, at Akron Children's, and uh, when I was a student, uh, I loved that 
rotation there. And just like you said, I love the physiology. When I was a, a resident and an intern, we uh, we, we did, uh, I think, a month uh, down in the NICU as well during my family medicine rotation. And uh, you're right. I mean, I, I really love that that uh, that medicine and the physiology. And just like you said, too, the team is down there. The, I remember the, the, uh, the team of uh, uh, neonatologists uh, down there. They were just uh, super people and uh, always uh, answered questions of the medical students, but also of the parents as well and, and the yeah. nursing team. And the whole team down there would just give me a real positive experience, even when we went on team transports and things. And even though it was, you know, long and, and we have a lot of uh, kind of Amish population in this part of the state and, and those are the type of transports that we went to. And, and you got to learn so much more, especially in the home setting. And, and oh, yeah. uh, it was really a positive experience for me. Yeah, yeah. The, the ICU teams and especially those transport teams, um, hands down, amazing, amazing people, amazing people, amazing people to work with and so knowledgeable. Uh, but of course, you know, like I mentioned, you're, you're a general pediatrician and, and you work at the Pediatric Associates of Kansas City. Can you describe a little bit about your uh, practice situation and and, uh, and and what that's all about? Sure. So we're a pretty large group here. We act. This group is actually older than I am. It got started uh, in the early '70s by a couple of guys uh, here in Kansas City. We were actually one of the first um, pediatric groups in the city. Um, Right now we have a large patient population. We serve over 10,000 families. We have two different uh, two different office locations. One's one in um, mid, what's considered Midtown of Kansas City, and then one over in Lee's Summit, which is a suburb on the Missouri side. Um, we have a total of 13 healthcare providers that work amongst those two offices, all MDs that we have here. And uh, my job here is that I work here full-time. I see patients full-time. Uh, and then I do the social media for the crew as well. Um, and your office hours, can you describe a little bit about that? It's That, that may not be typical of what people would expect yeah. from a general pediatrician. Right. We, we are definitely a shining star in our group is our accessibility. Uh, we have stuck by the, the uh, hours that our original founders uh, almost 40 years ago started. So they, uh, we are open seven days a week. We're open on every holiday except for Christmas Day. Our hours are 9 in the morning until 9 at night, um, except on Saturdays where we're 9 to 5. So how we operate our practice is that amongst our 13 health care providers that we have here, we kind of equally rotate call. And our call consists of a, of a day that begins at 8 o'clock with some walk-ins that we do in the morning, and then the day stops at 9 o'clock in the evening. So it's kind of a long shift when we're on call actually in the physical office. And then we'll take calls from home after that. Um, we have a nice mix of having uh, – we do our well visits during our regular 9 to 5 business hours. We have walk-ins every single morning from 8 until 9. Just show up and we'll see you. We also have walk-ins from 5 to 6 every night as well. And then beginning at about 7 o'clock, we begin scheduled visits for those last couple hours of the day. So we really try to accommodate uh, anybody who needs to see us from the rush before school starts to make sure kids don't have strep throat all the way to the, I got just picked him up from daycare and he has a fever check at the end of the day and everywhere in between. And does you and your group, did you see inpatients as well in the hospital? We see inpatient newborns, newborns only. We do newborn rounds every morning, goes to see our baby in the hospital, 
Um, we're affiliated with the St. Luke's Hospital System, which is fortunately located right across the street. So we go see our newborns in the morning and then begin our clinic day if we're not on call at 9 o'clock here over across the street. And uh, do you have uh, electronic uh, medical records, and how's that experience been for not only you but for the whole group? We we do not. We're currently on paper charts. If you were going to talk to me in about three more months, I say we do. We're going to begin that transition after the first of the year. Wow. <laughs> and how, how's that prep going? <laughs> <laughs> There's probably always... a lot of, like, uh, workflow <laughs> questions as far as, you know, now we're on paper, how are we going to do this? Uh, I mean, our, our office is, you know, did that, and it was very painful. Yeah, it's, you know, and, you know, nothing like doing it at the height of flu season. So we're going <laughs> to... Gonna go, we're gonna go in just uh, with guns blazing here and see 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 what's gonna happen. You know, our we have a wonderful business manager. We have in-house billing here, also in the office, who have been who have been already working with the corporation that we chose and and is trying to get some of our workflow patterns done. Um, our group, as far as our providers, the 13 of us, very much are, are there's a wide range of ages. We have we have. Um, very experienced, wonderful veterans that are in their 70s uh, all the way to new grads. So so we're going to kind of bring it out in phases. Uh, some of the docs that might be a little bit more computer-centric will kind of roll it out first, and then and then we're going to catch up the other people who might be less comfortable, and that's kind of our plan. And I'll, you know, talk next year, and we'll see how it went. <laughs> wow. What is it about you guys in flu season that kind of starts your social media story, but that gets kind of very, uh, very interesting, I think. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, I think, you know, flu clinic has, you know, it was H1N1 was just awful in 2009. I mean, we all experienced the hit from that, but, but specifically that was a time when, when I had been here for a few years and had really gotten started, started to get frustrated about the inability to communicate outward messages to the families that I serve. And, um, especially during the height of the flu season is kind of when when we started to shoulder a little started to shoulder a little bit more aggressively our approach with social media just to benefit our families to get the words out of what was happening. I mean things were crazy at that time. The news was so alarming. Everybody wanted the H1N vaccine H1N1 vaccine wanted more information and wanted their kids protected and we just needed a better way. So we we really started social media and started to address that simply because we just had a problem and that and that problem was we couldn't communicate well. Um, I guess on the line is uh, Dr. Natasha Berger from the Pediatric Associates of uh, Kansas City, and we'll we'll get talking about the website kckidsdoc.com. You can also follow her on uh, Twitter at Dr. Natasha. They also have a uh, YouTube and. Uh, Google Plus, which we'll uh, get into in a little bit. She's a keynote speaker at the uh, coming up the fourth annual Mayo Clinic Social Media Summit, which will take place in Rochester in uh, October 16 through 18, uh, coming up. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we, we kind of broached it a little bit uh, about starting off in, in the social media. Um, but were you always kind of kind of geeky growing up? Were you were you a gadget girl, or or that was like totally not your thing? No, I've I've always been a gadget girl, always. I just uh, really love to always have the latest and greatest little toy. I I got that a genetic predisposition from my father, who always also wanted to have the latest uh, tech gadget and shared and shared that with me. So, always had an interest. Social media specifically was was something I was aware of. I wasn't like a huge um, a, a huge person in the social media sphere 
personally um, before kind of did, doing it professionally, but certainly technology was was always something on the fringe of my interest. Um, and and as, as usually this, uh, as social media starts, I, I, I've talked with uh, Kevin MD many times, and, and he uh, he says he started kind of as a necessity, as a communication to his patients, and I think that's kind of started what what, uh, what kind of uh, started with you, and, and this was kind of going back a little bit. So, so it, it was kind of that H1N1 kind of craziness of 2009, and, and I know that you talked about this in other presentations in the past, but this was it was kind of a necessity. Uh, to to improve the communication that you and your office had with your patients? Is that kind of how this digital communication started? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was kind of twofold. Cause another thing that, that was very more per – H1N1 is where social media just became a necessity. I mean, we just needed something quick, something free, something that I knew how to manipulate fairly well just as a means of getting information out. I was also the what started my my personal more passion for the media was was a few months prior during that previous uh, back to school checkup season I had met a mother who who what who did not who made a healthcare decision based on what I believe to be false information off the internet and and I that was a really memorable and impactful moment for me because coming fresh out of school and trying to do my job well and trying with with full intention of trying to partner with my families, I I really had my head down just seeing patients and had no idea of what was happening on the Internet. I really didn't until the patient encounters kept repeating themselves. So, so once my patients started kind of opening my eyes to the ways that they were using the online space, both in social media and other and other places, gathering their information there, being influenced by what they found there, that really kind of put a spark of me pursuing it. Then when H1N1 hit, then it then it kind of solidified that choice for me. It made me very firm in the sand that this is going to be a way that we can distribute information to our patients very easily, uh, very quickly, in real time, and that our patients were listening, that we were seeing a positive response from that, that we were seeing the number of phone calls decrease, that we were hearing that the information we were posting and that I was putting on the blog were, were alleviating some fears, that were, that were bringing clarity and bringing information to their decision-making. And it became this kind of positive feedback loop, that the more that we would post, the more that the more that I would write, the more that we would hear positive comments, and that it was being helpful. And the and the balls kind of snowballed from there. Now people really rely on that as a as a place for information as far as communicating with their pediatric group, which has been great. Now, now before that H one N one time, or even during that time, what kind of experiences were you having with patients bringing you stuff from the internet? Were just saying, "Oh, I heard this on the internet." What kind of interactions were you having with patients at that time? My my patients at that time were were coming to me um, with their minds made up. They were coming to me after already looking online, doing their research in appropriate places, but maybe also getting influenced by some voices with some significant agenda. And instead of coming to me in a place where they were asking, what do you think about this, or this is what I was learned, this is what I read and I was concerned about it, they were coming into my office with their line in the sand. Their decision had already been made, and my opinion didn't even matter. Like I, I just, I just became someone that was 
signing forms and writing prescriptions and and not really partnering or collaborating with a healthcare decision. And that I was fortunate that that happened fairly early in my career, relatively speaking, because I I knew that 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 that's that's just not the way that I wanted to practice medicine. Like I went into pediatrics to create a partnership with a family to ride with them for 18 years of their life during the most amazing years of their life with their family. And I didn't want to spend my career just having people come in, you know, wanting their shots and me signing their form with, without having any partnership um, uh, at all, for, not only for the patient's benefit, but for my benefit. Like, that's, that's really why I went into pediatrics. I wanted to be a part of these people's lives. And so, so that inter- Internet became, to me, became a competition. It was kind of sabotaging what what I was trying to accomplish. And, and I wasn't angry with my patients at all for bringing this to my attention. I, I, never, I never shied away from, from looking at things that they had found online. But what was frustrating for me is when, when um, my, expert, my expertise in, in the field in which they were making the decision was, was not even being valued. And that was just hurtful for me. And so, and so I wanted to make a change to, to show my patients that, that I wanted to be a more collaborative partner. Um, and, and you and I are very much alike, and and uh, and, and you're going to kind of be my mentor because I, uh, I'm considering kind of doing what you're doing for our practice because there's really no interest in it but me, uh, kind of being the self-assigned social media community manager. Sure. Uh, so uh, so you when can- you started, but when you kind of started the process, um, did, did you have kind of a plan in mind or or just was the was the first topic really out of the gate the H one N one and I need to get this stuff out there and, and I need to get it right and was that kind of how it all kind of fell together at that point? Yeah, that's kind of just how it all fell together and it started too with some email communications that I had had with families. Um, I from the from day one of my practice had always always emailed my families and kept a nice email list and so my initial kind of information for H one N one went out to them and. It was, oh, by the way, if we started a Facebook page and continued this dialogue and continued putting information there, would would you use it? Um, and it was a resounding yes. Um, I think that that what's unique to social media and what's unique to, to working with patients, of course, is is you could start all the Facebook pages and, and Twitter handles in, a, in the world, but if your patients aren't there, if your patients aren't looking there, it's not, it's not going to make any difference. So... So I just wanted to kind of get feedback from them of where they wanted the message sent, um, and feedback, and Facebook was number one. So that's kind of how it started, and and then from that point forward, being kind of making you know, making up rules as we went along. This was way before social media policies was even a word. Um, I just started posting what I felt was valuable and what I was seeing in clinics. So I just really wanted it to be an extension of my practice day and. If I saw a whole bunch of kids with strep throat that day, then I'd post about strep throat. Or if I saw an interesting article the parents were talking about, I'd repost it with a little comment to continue the dialogue and just kind of went from there. So, so you dialogue with, with your patients over email? Is it, is it, is like, a, is it like a in this back, you know, password-protected type of thing, or is it just kind of, you know, just a general work Gmail or email address, or how do you do um, that? It, it's, it's both. You know, I'm fortunate now that I've that to extend to extend my reach. I have um, a HIPAA compliant network that I use. Um, at the beginning, uh, in 2006, it was just Gmail, 
Um, and my my I would always have patients initiate that connection with me. And if they if they I would offer my address. And if they wanted to send me something, they were more than welcome. Um, and we kind of discussed with a gentleman's handshake that this was this was this was a work in progress and and not secure and just for their convenience. And they said, I don't care. I just want to be able to get a hold of you. And I said, that's fine. Uh, so, you know, I've, I'm very, I'm unique in the fact working in private practice <clears throat> to to um, be able to kind of create things as I go. I have the fluidity of being able to try things. And I'm very, very fortunate to work with a group of patients that are amenable to my little technological exploits and are willing to give me grace as we're all trying to figure this out uh, if they understand the purpose is just trying to be a better communicator and a better physician for their family. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, uh, so so do, do, do you put those email communications in a medical record somewhere or you don't or kind of what's your workflow yeah, there? Yeah, anything, anything that comes in always gets printed out. Unless it's pretty – most of the emails that I get are very generic, people just looking for a little bit of advice. Um so it, at this point, it's just kind of my discretion since since we're still paper chart and I have to physically print everything out. I have electronic records of all of the emails that have been sent. I have printed out the ones that I feel are pertinent to patient care. Um, once we roll out the uh, EMR after the first of the year, then everything will just roll roll obviously into the into the electronic records. And we talked in person, and there's going to be a, um, a lot of questions out there from, from physicians and medical professionals out there about something like this. But, but what we talked about before is that, is that you really kind of set the expectation really early, maybe even at the first visit on, on this type of thing. And, and, and this is kind of your expectation as far as digital communication, and you try to get their um, expectation on digital communication. And you set that uh, expectation up very early so there's no – um, you know, there's nothing uh, that is ambiguous about what, what the deal is. Absolutely. And I do that by their choice, too. Um, with my patients, especially with first-time moms and little two-week-old babies, I mean, they, they've got a lot of questions. They need a lot of help. And so I'll just ask them, what, what's the best way for you to get a hold of me and what's the best way for me to get a hold of you? Is it easier for you just to always have phone conversations with my nurses and leave messages? Then absolutely that's great. Do you want my email address to use for non-urgent things? Then that's great. Whatever, you know, are you on Facebook? Are you on Twitter? These are the things that I can sign you up for to communicate with, and I can sign you up for my blog, and this is information that can be sent for you or sent to you. Um, I really let my patients initiate a lot of that because I, I also never want I also would never want any of my patients to feel like I won't pick up the phone. Like if you want to have a phone conversation with me, that's absolutely fine. You don't have to do everything electronically either. <laughs> so so if you want to fax me, if you want to send it by right, carrier pigeon, I don't care. I just want <laughs> to do whatever you want to do. I just like to present a lot of different options to them of where they feel most comfortable. Um, I guess on the line is uh, Dr. Natasha Bergert uh, from Pediatric Associates of uh, Kansas City, kckidsdoc.com. Uh, she's a full-time pediatrician there, also the uh, social media community manager. She's going to be a keynote speaker at the upcoming uh, Mayo Clinic Social Media Summit. Uh, so let's kind of dive a little bit more um, uh, on on the social media plan that you have for for the practice. Um, when you when you talk about kckidsdoc.com. Um, and I think you maybe alluded to it already. It's, as far as when you select topics and things, is it is it kind of 
you know, maybe uh, peripherally from patient encounters? Is it from hot topics of the day? How do you select what you're going to write about? Well, I like to write. Um, I like to write kind of in real time. So anything that I post on the blog, uh, I'll say 98% is something that I've written in the last day, and it's responding to a patient concern. So I specifically don't talk about my patients online. I'm very clear about that. But what I will do is I kind of have this general rule of three, and that is if I'm hearing the same question three times that week, then that means I've got to write a blog post about it. Because I know that my patient community, if one mom has that question, then they're all talking about it amongst their mom's groups. So I kind of let my patients guide um, what they are asking me questions of in order to write. You know, the Academy of Pediatrics, though, is also putting out some great stuff all the time about different releases and different information. Um, so I will respond directly to, to articles that have come out if they look of their particular interest to my to my patients. Um, but uh, I really like to let, them guide ev- let my patients guide every once in a while. I do like to throw in just a little piece about my kids or my family. I think that that's important, too, um, specifically because... I like to remind everyone that I'm a mom, too, and and, uh, are experiencing this journey of of childhood together. And I think my patients also enjoy hearing about my escapades as a mom, too, um, uh, just as a a connecting piece that we can kind of dialogue about later. Uh, So I will talk about my family, and uh, that's about it. That's That's kind of been a method that's worked so far. And you kind of cross-post things to to the practice uh, Facebook page. Is that kind of how you do things? Correct. I'll cross them to the. I will cross that to the practice Facebook page. I try to write on the blog at least once a week, so that'll be one of my posts for the week on Facebook. We also have um, a small but growing Twitter account, and I'll cross and I'll cross-post it over there as well. Uh, and you're doing a little bit, uh, I think, a little bit more now with videos and YouTube, and kind of what you've been experiencing uh, with that. It's been really fun. Um, I've, I started out pretty slow um, because I, you know, I am the producer, editor, and everything else with the film, and I didn't know how to work iMovie very well, to be honest. So um, I'm learning the tools as I go, um, and my husband very patiently will, will also help as well, kind of put some things up on YouTube. It's becoming simpler with the technology that we have and a little, and finally getting... Um, uh, a decent camera and getting a decent uh, microphone has made it a lot easier. But I found that really fun. And the more that I do it, I feel more. more the more that I do it, the more that I want to do it because I'm getting more comfortable with that particular media. But it's also what I found is the absolute easiest piece to share with patients. Um, I like to have those videos up in like short links. So if they're waiting or if I have a particular um, video that I'd like them to show, it's super easy to show them a quick two-minute video in the office versus having them read a blog post. So I'm still kind of brainstorming other ways that I can use the video um, medium because I think that's definitely where everything is, is headed, as we as I think we all know. Do you have a, a – do, do you, like, bring in an iPad or, or like, a, yeah. a, a laptop or something to show them those short videos? Because one of the – well, one of the things I – think, I think it was last flu season that I thought was very cool is that um, I think it was you and your daughter got your uh, got your flu shot or, or flu vaccination at the same time. And it was a short – I think it was 30 or 45 seconds, but it was, you know, it was very well done, and there was a nice link at the end. And I thought that was very effective, very short, get to the point. 
Yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun. She's not agreeing to do it again this year. <laughs> <laughs> She's in kindergarten now. She's way too cool to be in mom's videos anymore. Um, see. <laughs> um but yeah, that those are those are um short, effective and and with a little bit of a short link to mo- the I'm going to say 99% of my patients have smartphones. So I can have my nurse um, give them a little card with a short link on it, and they can just watch it on their phones before I even get in the room. Oh, great. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Huh. Uh, and, and probably the most uh, frequent question that I get and that probably you get, especially from physicians and clinicians and medical professionals, where do you find the time for all this? How, how, what, when do you squeeze this in? Do you squeeze this in at the end of your day? Do you do, you do it some a little bit over a break or a lunch hour? How, when do you squeeze some of this uh, social media work in? Social media. My, um, it, 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 I try to all. I try to squeeze it in all in the work day. You know, I, I don't want. I want to protect that time that I have with my family, just like we all do. So, so I usually try to have working lunches. Is typically when I'll do most of my writing. Um, I will periodically use a Sunday afternoon to shoot a couple videos or such. But I find that I work on it. I in little bits and pieces throughout the day, and I can work with Facebook and Twitter. Uh, fairly quickly between patients is kind of part of my workflow. And so beyond just checking in my email maybe once or twice when I go home, I'm not spending a lot of time writing or shooting videos or doing that kind of stuff uh, uh, after after I get home. I, I, I really try to keep that as part of my work day. Oh, okay. Great, great. Um, I, I have a real uh, problem seg- segmenting a lot of that stuff. <laughs> I feel like I'm continually on, and I I really have to physically stop myself and just unplug, and it's difficult for me. And I know um, for some people it is. You know, but you you do so much too, and I think that you do a ton, and it's so so valuable. And that's why you're such a leader in the field, though. And and I think that what I think what what it just kind of comes down to is a personal choice. Do I have a big book of a million different ideas of things that I'd like to do? Absolutely. But am I and but at this point with young kids at home, I'm just not quite willing to dive into that book completely when I'd like to spend time at home with them. So as time opens up, it'll, you know, it'll be dynamic and changing, but right now I'm really trying to focus on on just my work day and and uh making some practical progress with some time that I have. And you probably have a um, a great uh, story or two where where uh, you start to uh, talk to a patient uh, and they say stop you know I I already saw it on the blog or I saw a video about it and I already know what you're going to say that that has to be very gratifying. It's super gratifying and I I love those stories I love hearing about it I love hearing about positive changes that people made but what's becoming very interesting now is uh, I was at uh, is is the is the people who are influenced by your writing that you least expected. So I was at a wedding like a couple weeks ago and was introduced to an acquaintance through a friend of mine that was there. And the mom said, and she writes a blog, and da 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 And she said, wait a minute, are you Casey Kistock? I said, I said, yeah, I am. And I was absolutely stunned because I've never met this woman before in my life. And she said, I am keeping my kid in the back seat because I read that post that you wrote. And to me, that's, I think, where the real impact of social media comes in, is here is someone who's not even my patient, who is just someone in the community, and who's, who my friend had shared that article with her because uh, she thought it would be interesting for her family, and making good health care changes and making what I believe to be positive 
healthcare decisions and having that influence on in people that you don't even physically touch. I think that's the real cool part and kind of how the blog has extended itself. And I think it's something that's really cool that you do, especially with the Facebook page. I encourage people to check out Facebook and search for Pediatric Associates Kansas City. And we, we've talked about this offline as well, is that um, as long as it's a good article, you don't care where it comes from. And, and I have this real, real irk with with people who are really focused on their brand. Um, and what they only do on their Facebook page is only things that they write in-house and they, you know, they don't like posting uh, links from other places, and that's something that really gets me upset. But looking at your Facebook page, I mean, you could be anywhere in the world or even anywhere in the country, and you will get good uh, pediatric information. And I think it's something that's very strong about your Facebook page. Well, I think that that's really important because all of us are making an effort to, to collaborate together to get in good information out. And there's some wonderful voices um, that that should be shared in a lot of different ways from from, you know, from both of our different coasts and everywhere in between. And uh, I think what's interesting is that even when I share someone, um, uh, Dr. Ray Catanio has a wonderful blog um, uh, called Kablooey.org, and he's just right down the street. And people often say, well, why would you promote a competitor's work? I'm like, because we're really not competitors. We're both trying to get out good health and care information. And when I put those type of shares on my page, People are still looking to me as a source of credibility. Those aren't my words that I'm posting on Facebook, but they know that, that if I'm going to post it on there that I believe it to be true, and so it's still influential regardless of the source of authorship. So I think that that's, that's really important to collaborate in this space and, and to give credit where credit's due and to acknowledge that people across the street are writing and they're doing a good job, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support their message. Uh, my guest on the line is uh, Dr. Natasha Berger from uh, Pediatric Associates of Kansas City. Check out their blog at kckidsdoc.com. You can also follow her on Twitter at uh, Dr. Natasha. She's going to be a keynote speaker at the uh, coming up, the uh, fourth annual Mayo Clinic Social Media Summit, uh, October 16th through 18th in Rochester. Uh, and let's kind of dive into that a little bit. And uh, the, the, when I first got to know you, um, I got to tune in to a webinar that you did for uh, Mayo and for Mr. Liasi, and uh, that was a great uh, – you did a great job with that. That was a great opportunity for you. How did you first get introduced to the uh, Mayo Clinic people? No, I uh, <clears throat> I had uh, I, I had followed them for a long time. I think the Mayo Clinic is certainly one of the leaders in – in uh, in uh, the world of of healthcare in general, but definitely in social media, and so I had seen um, the the uh, how Reagan had collaborated with them in order to create those conferences, and I threw my hat in the ring uh, and just threw out an idea to them of getting involved in that webinar, um, which they which they um, graciously offered the opportunity to give it a go, uh, and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. That was the first webinar I'd ever. I had ever done, and it was it was a new medium for me to present. Very different when you don't have an audience in front of you to give you a little bit of feedback. Um, but, uh, but I really yeah. enjoyed it. Um, yeah, of course. I mean, it's uh, that. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, because I, I've never done. Well, I've done that once, and uh, I, I definitely understand what you're saying because I, I like people, uh, regardless of what people say, because I'm on the internet all the time. Uh, but live presentations where you play off of the audience, you can kind of read them a little bit and kind of see if they're lost or if they're excited. And if you're just talking to a screen on a webinar, it's very challenging. So I definitely understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's very challenging, especially when my my internal uh, – my I, I couldn't hear anything. It was just me talking in a space. So anyway, 
but it was lovely, and I appreciated the opportunity, and I hope that it was helpful to the to to uh, those who were able to watch it, and just as as a lowly pediatrician's perspective, and that was kind of a launching pad um, to send in another proposal for this conference that's happening next week, and and they graciously gave me the nod to keynote, so I'm very excited about uh, working with them again. Uh, so can you give us a little bit uh, maybe of a uh, preview? Maybe don't give it all away, but uh, I know I know a lot of it is going to be talking about your own story and things, uh, um, but I, I imagine you, you may have um, a tip or two or, or something that uh, you can give us a little bit of a preview on maybe before next week. Sure. So um, not going most of my people know my story, so I'm not going to delve too much in it, but certainly we'll review the highlights. Um, I think one of the things that that'll, that's most important to, um, to know about about me and, and being there next week is that is that I, that um, my uh, that the talk is going to be very special to me. Um, it's going to be very different. I had talked, you know, I've talked uh, till I'm blue in the face about social media, but on the Mayo Clinic spa- stage will specifically be special because my dad's life was saved there um, in wow. the early 70s. My dad went to Mayo Clinic essentially uh, as a last resort because nobody knew how to help him and had a life-saving surgery. Uh, and two years later, I was born. So so certainly because of Mayo Clinic, our family is indebted. So it's it's going to be a, a very uh, emotional uh, emotional beginning of a talk, I guarantee you. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> Uh, the talk is going to focus on how I believe um, social media is vital for patient education. That's how I use it most, uh, and how most com- and how I use it most comfortably uh, in a lot of different ways, both getting information out, uh, beginning conversations, and collaborating with partners. Um, I think that using social media for patient education should be part of the curriculum and part of uh, Part to, and vitally part of every practicing doctor's um, workflow to their patient's benefit and to the to the physician's benefit. So I'm going to focus on three ways that any physician or any healthcare communicator could use social media for patient education. Um, I, those three ways are going to be by joining those online spaces and listening as a good first step that I think any physician or healthcare communicator could join to do and still benefit their patients. Um, Followed shortly the step of collecting information, kind of gathering information that you could share with your patients and also creating pieces to kind of fill gaps uh, in the information that you find on the Internet that's specific to your patient population. And then finally talking about different ways that I practically share information that I find online uh, with my patients, both at point of care and outside the office. So there'll be a little bit of my story, a little bit of why I think it's important for everybody to get involved in in one level or another, and then pra- some practical tips on on how to share the things that you find and you create. Wow, I'm I'm just like I'm so excited and like I'm so bummed at the same time because I won't <laughs> be able to be there because because uh, you know um, you know work just gets in the way of the social media fun stuff and uh, it's just such a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be there in spirit, I know. I'll be able to feel your presence. Uh, well, I know that you know I'll be following you on Twitter because like Absolutely. every you know every breath will be tweeted out um, <laughs> because uh, that, that's what happens. I was I was there in person last year and I've never been to Rochester before. I've never been to Mayo before, and uh, it was such a 
uh, an awesome experience uh, to be there, and and I was on a panel there, and uh, and and the the people that you meet, uh, not only medical professionals, but all the e patients that I met, and all the people in IT and business, and uh, um, it was such a, a great experience for me. I'm so bummed I won't be able to go this year, but I know there will be other opportunities, um, and I'm so happy for you that that you're not only going, but but uh, you're presenting and going to be a keynote, and it's just it's just going to be so much fun for you. I'm so jealous. Oh well, thanks. You know, I'm just I'm so gracious to everyone who has kind of given the nod and and allowed me to to do this. I, I I hope I can I hope I can teach a little bit of something and and hopefully in a refreshing way. I have a couple surprises in the presentation that we've been working. Oh, on. okay, all right. <laughs> Not going to give them away. There so it kind of in our remaining moments here. I mean, it's it uh, it doesn't seem like a long time ago, but uh, but 2009 in, in social media years seems so far long ago. Um, when you kind of look back as far as where social media is now, and where social media was then, as uh, as far as you professionally, kind of what do you kind of see when you're when you're looking back a little bit? You know, it's it's it seems like such a far time ago at times, but. But at, but at other times it just seems like yesterday, you know, because I think when I when I got into social and just at a real, real at a, really at a grassroots need, like I simply needed a tool, and that's what kind of filled the gap at that time and allowed me to share my voice. You know, I think that 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 hasn't changed. Like I, I went in with with really no agenda. I went in just because I needed a way to communicate. And I just always promised myself that I was going to do the best that I can and just be honest with both the tool and with who I am and not try to to build anything that I'm not or or to be dishonest in any way. And, and that still holds true today. So I'm very fortunate that people have been gracious enough to, to lend me a few minutes of their time and to listen to what I have to say. But between then and now, I think the principle is the same. We just have a bigger voice, more peop- a greater responsibility, and hopefully a few more tools to play with, you know, in order to make the message a little bit bigger. Um, I guess on the line is uh, Dr. Natasha Bergert, uh, Pediatric Associates of Kansas City, uh, kckidsdoc.com. Also follow her on Twitter. Uh, she's is Dr. Natasha. Uh, and she's going to be a keynote speaker at the uh, Mayo Clinic Social Media Summit, uh, October 16 through 18 um, in Rochester. And Natasha, I'm going to give you um, uh, an opportunity to, to gather some thoughts for some closing thoughts, but uh, um, just just to kind of start out, I mean, I, I just want to thank you for for coming on the show, and uh, uh, it's it's always great to talk to you. Um, and I know we talked in person before, but I mean, it's something that's really cool about you is that you know you're very genuine, and and you really are really focused on what this is really about, and it is really about communicating uh, with patients. And I have no problem saying that there's a lot of people in social media, especially medical social media, who uh, who start out pretty noble and they kind of really a little bit lost their way and uh, are really focused on their own social media career and it's kind of sad for for people like me who've seen people from the start and who are kind of a a shift in what their intentions are now. But uh, just in the short time that that I that I've uh, I've known you uh, online and, and talked to you on person, I mean it's just um, it, it really is you know still you know about the patient about patient communication, trying to get that right information out there, trying to get the best. 
um, communication with your patients. And uh, it, it's just been such a joy and delight uh, to talk to you um, on the show here, and, and I only appreciate the time. Uh, but now, I mean, just, uh, you know, if you have any closing thoughts uh, for our, our listeners here tonight about uh, about you or about social media in general, um, you have any closing thoughts for us here uh, this evening? No, you know, thanks so much for, for giving me the time to share, and, and I am so sad that you won't be in Rochester next week, but I know that you'll be listening. Um, I just appreciate uh, the, the opportunity to get in the, into this space and, and follow the leaders such as, yourself, such as yourself who have really led the way for all of us who, who have the same goal in mind, and that's, and that's just to help our patients in, in using the tools that we have at our fingertips in order to do that. And, and, I, and I certainly haven't done it uh, on my own. It's by following um, all of you guys who were there first. And I can't say how much that I thank you for kind of leading the way for all of us to follow. Uh, and uh, that's uh, that's been our guest, Dr. Natasha Berger. Check her out at kckidsdoc.com. And uh, we'll be right back uh, here. I have some uh, closing thoughts uh, for the show. We'll be right back.
back to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast on the uh, Thursday night. Yes, I'm back live now. It is uh, 10 p.m. Eastern time. And looking at Twitter live right now, looks like the uh, vice presidential debate is uh, wrapping up. And I'm glad I did not see it on the screen. I'm just following it on Twitter. And, uh, uh, you know, did it really change anybody's mind? Probably not. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, but to kind of close up the uh, the previous interview, I do want to thank Dr. Natasha Berger for coming on the show uh, and uh, blocking out uh, some time uh, on her busy schedule uh, to talk about her keynote talk uh, coming up next week at the 4th Annual Mayo Clinic Social Media Summit. Yes, there is still time to register for that if you'd like to. Uh, the uh, dates are October 16th through 18, 2012, and they are also offering a online option as well uh, so you can uh, google search that and uh, check that out she's uh, uh, works at the pediatric associates of kansas city and uh, find them on facebook you can uh, follow her on twitter at dr natrasha also check out their blog at kckidsdoc.com and uh, that's right she is a rising star in uh, uh, medical uh, social media and uh, uh, you, you just wait after this uh, Mayo conference next week uh, you're going to be hearing a lot a lot a lot more about Dr. Natasha Berger thank you again for coming up uh, for coming on the uh, show uh, so now we're going to start the this is hour two and uh, I'm not going to go the entire hour here uh, but uh, uh, I did want to talk about uh, something that just came up last night uh, at uh, my medical school alma mater, the uh, Northeast Ohio Medical University, Neomed. And uh, my new friend uh, from Primary Care Progress um, was uh, speaking, Dr. Andrew Morris Singer. And uh, he was talking to the Family Medicine Interest Group out there at the medical school last night. Uh, and uh, I was alerted to his presence just at the beginning of the week uh, by my friend and mentor, Dr. Tony Costa, um, who's the department chair um, of family medicine out at uh, Neomed. And uh, I've been meaning to uh, go and see Dr. Andrew talk for a long time. Uh, and actually, we, uh, we met uh, in uh, Kansas City uh, at the annual resident student meeting. I think it was three months ago. And uh, I, I talked to him for about five minutes because we were both going somewhere else, and uh, I wanted to see his presentation, but his presentation was the same time as my uh, presentation, uh, so I wasn't able to uh, see him present until last night. And he's a very dynamic uh, speaker. Um, I was able to videotape most of it. I got there a little bit late, uh, and I do have a uh, a small segment of the uh, of the talk. Um, from uh, yesterday evening, uh, and it is also a video portion uh, at uh, FamilyMedicineRocks.com. If you want to see the video um, and the audio portion there, uh, you'll be able to see it there. But I do have a, a two and a half minute clip here. It's not a uh, uh, it's not a, uh, a 45 minute clip. It is uh, just a two and a half minute uh, clip here. And he's closing up his thoughts here. Dr. Andrew Morsinger is uh, closing up his thoughts on his presentation with regards to National Primary Care Week, um, Primary Care Progress, and a project that they're doing called Voices for Primary Care, uh, which I'll talk a little bit more about. But the, the, the little snippet is that uh, you know, people can take pictures and, uh, and uh, with a sign that says primary care is and, and define uh, what it is uh, for them. 
Uh, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll play this uh, two-and-a-half-minute clip of him, his closing remarks, and then I will tell you after this uh, our dinner afterward and some of the things that we uh, discussed during our dinner. But uh, uh, right here, this is uh, Dr. Andrew Morris Singer, uh, the president and uh, founder of Primary Care Progress last night talking to uh, the medical students over at uh, Neomed. It's an exciting time, friends, for those of us in primary care. This is the most exciting place to be in medicine. Uh, take two. Let me, uh, let me try that again here. It's an exciting time, friends, for those of us in primary care. This is the most exciting place to be in medicine. Whether you're doing pediatrics, whether you're doing general internal medicine, whether you're doing family medicine, you can't go wrong. This is the only place in medicine where we can increase quality and decrease spending at the same time. And more and more folks in your generation are getting involved. So, a couple things I want to just end with. National Primary Care Week, we're doing the Voices for Primary Care campaign. This is a wonderful way for you guys to get involved, share why you think primary care is so valuable. We're aiming for a thousand, uh, a thousand uh, pictures. It's incredibly easy. Uh, I actually have a bunch of these uh, pictures up here. So you can grab one, write down whatever you want. It can be lighthearted, it can be fun, it can be very serious, right? This one moment in primary care got me this far. Just come and grab one. But, uh, you know, ultimately, this is, uh, this is really your moment. This is your moment to make a choice. And uh, the choice is really about what do we want to do to build upon this sort of foothold that a small group of people have created in primary care. Right? A new model of care that better meets the needs of patients and uh, providers and payers alike uh, has taken shape. And, uh, and the key is can we spread it? Can we build upon it? Can we make it better? Can we get the workforce to come along? But that's going to that's require choices. So, providers, do we want to keep doing everything ourselves, or do we want to engage other members of the care team? It's a choice. Advocates, do we want to continue advocating by ourselves in silos, where family medicine does one thing, and pediatrics does one thing, or do we want to work together? It's a choice. And you guys, as trainees, do you guys want to continue waiting for faculty to deliver what you guys need to prepare you for the future. Or do you guys want to say, you know what, we're students and we have power. We have power when we work together. And so we want to work with faculty to support these righteous initiatives to really prepare us for a transformed healthcare system. It's about choices. So I want to thank you for uh, giving me your time. It's great to be here with you guys. And why don't we open up for questions and, uh, and a little discussion. So why not stop there and um, now I don't know if that audio came through very uh, very good. I was in the back of the room and uh, with uh, the video camera and uh, uh, the 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 audio was was picked up from the speakers, but uh, the audio is, is better on the on the video portion for some reason. Uh, this seems kind of a little bit dulled out, but. Uh, you know some some of his closing thoughts. You know that I uh, I kind of reflected on in a in a blog post. Uh, from today, uh, called Dinner with Primary Care Progress. And uh, in the post, and, and what uh, Dr. Andrew was talking about last night was, uh, you know, during his presentation, was, you know, um, you, too often now that we are all in our silos. All of primary care is in their little silos, you know, whether it be uh, you know, family medicine or general internal medicine and pediatrics and 
you know, we're all, you know, doing these advocacy things um, in our own silos alone, you know, not really kind of joining together. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with pride, um, saying, you know, we have the best advocacy program. You should join us. We should not join you. Uh, and, and I think that's really hurting primary care. I think that's really hurting us. Um, you know, you know, people. Um, you know, there are too many leaders, <laughs> not enough followers. Everybody wants to be, you know, the uh, you know the, the the person you know getting everybody together and and uh, uh, saying, hey, you, you should you should forget what you're doing and 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 completely take on and and accept you know our advocacy plan because ours uh, ours is the best. Um, uh, you know, meanwhile, you know, people like specialists are, you know, they're, they're, they're laughing at us. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're, they're allowing all of this primary care infighting, uh, to continue because, uh, you know, they know that if they keep us divided up, uh, you know, we will not be able to advocate together, you know, because, because the, the, the nation, because the United States needs a strong primary care base and, and I don't know what it's going to take, you know, um, but, uh, you know, the, the more that we are in our little silos out there um, advocating for our own constituency and not really kind of seeing the strengths of collaboration and working together and clinical innovation, um, you know, the, the, the longer that we do that, the, 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 you know, the, the, uh, the faster the quicksand is going to swallow all of this up. Um, and I kind of had that realization last night uh, in, in talking with Dr. Andrew and, and talking about primary care progress and, and uh, you know, the goals that they have. Um, you know, primary care progress was, was started on, uh, you know, two significant events uh, that happened to, you know, Dr. Andrew. One was his, uh, he opens his presentation by talking about his mother. Uh, and his mother did not have a primary care physician, and um, you know she, she got very ill when he was a senior medical student, and and she went to all of her specialists uh, talking about these symptoms, uh, but this obviously the specialists only um, focused on what their specialty was, and there was nobody around to put all the pieces together until she went into the emergency room. And she was diagnosed with pneumonia, and it was so bad she was put on a breathing machine or a ventilator, and she almost died. Uh, but she didn't. Uh, and it was at that point that Dr. Andrew really said, "Hey, you know, primary care is for me. You know, I want to, you know, you know, be a part of that story to help, you know, more primary care be in this country." The the second uh, significant event that happened was. Um, Harvard Medical School in 2009, Harvard Medical School in 2009, uh, the primary care division was going to be defunded, uh, you know, symbolizing the lack of respect and the lack of importance of primary care at Harvard Medical School. And this is when, when he and a lot of other supporters in that area got together and tried to raise awareness about this, tried to build a new primary care vision for the school and for the community. And a strange thing happened. A lot of people from around the country started hearing this story as well, and they wanted to show their support, and they wanted to do the same thing at their campus. Yeah, I mean, you know, their, their primary care division was not being defunded, but they, they felt that primary care was not being valued on their medical school campus, and they wanted to help uh, raise that awareness. 
and in essence becoming chapters of primary care progress all around the country. And I think there's around maybe 20 or so uh, chapters now. And, you know, in talking with Dr. Andrew, you know, it's, you know, I kind of really see, you know, the reason why, you know, that, that he feels uh, as passionate as he does about uh, primary care, about building uh, coalitions and collaborations around things like clinical innovation and thinking outside the box and doing, uh, you know, medicine differently that we like we have never done before. Um, and, and he does, he has a tremendous advocacy background, um, a great uh, group of contacts, and he has a lot of ideas, and he has a strong team that's working around him um, at Primary Care Progress. Um, and I told him, you know, that, that I would be happy to, to help out Primary Care Progress um, as much as I can with my limited time schedule, um, but I think I could help them especially maybe with some social media ideas, um, you know, go to primarycareprogress.com. Um, you know, the key thing this week uh, is that it is National Primary Care Week. And, uh, you know, this was launched by the American Medical Student Association in 1998, and it celebrates primary care, highlights the importance of primary care, especially, especially now um, in the United States. Uh, and primary care progress is something uh, very, uh, uh, very, very interesting, I thought. Um, I'm trying to get their uh, website here up so I can, uh, I can take a look at it, uh, is that they, you know, they, they have a website specifically for National Primary Care Week. And uh, something on their site, they have something called Voices for Primary Care. Um, and it is photos of people holding a sign that says primary care is. And you can go to it by going to photos.voicesforprimarycare.org. Um, and they have had uh, over 500 people put pictures up. I put a picture up myself uh, to help uh, raise awareness about primary care, to raise awareness about family medicine um, up there. And uh uh, you know, just in the past, you know, four or five days, they have had a lot of people submit photos, including board members of the American Academy of Family Physicians and other uh, leaders in family medicine, other leaders in primary care. And you know, I, I'm I'm going to make a bold prediction here that that you know, it was beginning with this campaign, beginning with National Primary Care Week, beginning with the Voices for Primary Care project. You know, I, I'm really uh, seeing in the future that that people are going to see the need for collaboration in the primary in the primary care setting with primary care disciplines with primary care organizations. I think people following this National Primary Care Week are really going to kind of come together and um, you know work together uh, to achieve the common goal of raising uh, the amount of primary care physicians. Uh, and primary care in this country. And it's a very exciting time. Um, it's a very exciting time where, where I think that, that we can partner with patients. We can partner with e-patients, you know, the e-patients that I have been talking about for a long time. I mean, it's not, you know, I'm not claiming my idea, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to, to continue and carry their message. Um, and I think partnering with, 
with people like patients and e-patients uh, would, would really, uh, really be advantageous for uh, the primary care coalition, the uh, primary care collaboration for primary care progress. Uh, and uh, I think that would be a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. And, and I'm kind of curious to explore, you know, things like their chapters, the primary care progress chapters, and kind of seeing what they're all about. Um, so, um, so I, I'm very excited to to uh, you know, work uh, with them in some capacity at primary care progress and, and sharing my ideas and uh, sharing my talents. Uh, with them because this is a very important time for primary care. It's a very important time for family medicine. Uh, you know, I, I think that the family medicine revolution, uh, um, you know, of which I am a part of, um, you know, has a lot to learn from primary care progress and their movement and what they're trying to do to uh, bring uh, the uh, primary care groups together uh, and unify behind one message. And the message is that primary care is needed in this country to help fix our broken health care system, and we need uh, to think outside the box. We need the patient-centered medical home. We need other clinical innovations uh, to help uh, with that. So it was a great dinner uh, last night, great discussion with Dr. Andrew Morris-Singer from uh, Primary Care uh, Progress, and I hope to continue the dialogue with him. I, I, I hope to introduce him to uh, some people in the family medicine revolution, uh, so we can uh, so we can uh, get these collaborations and, and these partnerships and working together um, is, a, is a very very exciting time. It's a very very important time uh, for the family medicine revolution and for primary care advocacy. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, Dr. Andrew Morrisinger, for the time uh, and for your ideas and for your encouragement. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to working with you and your group in the future to, uh, you know, basically do one thing and it's to change the world, <laughs> which I've talked about a lot on this uh, show before. I think we can do it. We just have to find the right people in the right places and, you know, just harness that energy uh, for change. Uh, so that, that ends my show here this evening. Thank you so much uh, for joining me. Thank you so much for uh, hanging out for part one. Uh, of the show, uh, which is uh, Dr. Natasha Bergert, uh, pediatrician uh, from the Kansas City area. Um, check her out on uh, Twitter at uh, Dr. Natasha and also kckidsdog.com. Uh, best of luck uh, on your keynote presentation at the 4th Annual Mayo Clinic Social Media Summit, October 16 through 18, 2012. And uh, also thank you to uh, uh, Dr. Andrew Morris-Singer, uh, President and Principal Founder of Primary Care Progress uh, for your great talk last night um, at uh, Neomed and uh, for the uh, fascinating conversation and exchange of ideas following that. So uh, so that's all I have for you this evening. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, either live or on the uh, podcast. Uh, check out my digital library of stuff at uh, familymedicinerocks.com. Uh, also follow me on Twitter at uh, Dr. Mike Savilla. Um, become a friend or like the uh, Facebook page for the show. Over 500 people um, also uh, like the page as well. And uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not sure what, when my next show is going to be, but, uh, um, but definitely stay tuned uh, to the website and that will give you the uh, latest updates. And the Twitter feed will also give you the latest updates as well. Uh, so that's all I have for you. Thank you so much uh, for joining me. 
And uh, let me find uh, let me find a song here. I haven't done this in a while. Let me find a song to uh, to end the show here uh, this evening. And um, this ought to be uh, this ought to be a good one here. So so have a good night. Uh, have a good week. Have a good weekend. And uh, we will all talk to you very very soon. Uh, good night, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.